ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb, and I am happy to welcome a first-time guest to the pod, um, sports reporter extraordinaire out of Baton Rouge, and that's my backyard, so <laughs> I get to see a lot of her on a weekly basis, uh, the one and only Chessa Boucher. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a busy week. I just moved into a new house, and it's nice. Christmas week, so... Wow. You can just imagine. Yeah, you how like that's it going. to be a little hectic. It's what it sounds like. Apparently, like we were supposed <laughs> to close in November, which would have been very would have made me much happier. Yeah, but you know how the process goes. Banks yep. and loans and all that, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but you are going through a hectic time in your uh, job because LSU football has had one of the most. Um, intense, strange, weird. I don't know what the, the right adjective would be for this season from start to finish, but it's, it's exploded in the last 24 hours. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, let's start at the beginning then, I guess. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's set the stage. So LSU's five and five this year, coming yeah. off of the national championship. They had player yeah. defections, which happens every year. They had yeah. coaching changes, um, which happen all the time in, in major college sports. Let's go all the way back to the hiring this offseason of Bo Pelini and Scott Linehan. Yeah. Um, when LSU hired both of them, I was extremely surprised. One, um, Coach O just seemed to have tunnel vision, and Bo Pelini was his guy from jump. I don't feel like he really made a conscious effort to really have a true hiring process. I think he kind of jumped the gun on that one. Who like, gets Bo in, comes in here, and then, again, it was one of those – Bo Pelini, at first, I was somewhat excited when Bo came to Baton Rouge just simply because – the way I am, I'm a spitfire. I like it in your face. I like intensity. And I was like, Bo's going to bring it. He's going to be like so um, refreshing because Dave Aranda was almost like asleep on the sideline, which is I don't do well with that. Like I need in your face. I need all the aggression, all of that. So I was excited. But to hear that they were going to change the scheme, I liked the thought of it. But when COVID hits, and you don't get that one-on-one -on -one time. You don't get a true spring. You don't get summer. And then you have a shortened fall camp. And then you start a season with a new scheme and a new system is just a disaster waiting to happen. And as we saw that unfold with the dumpster fire that it was for defense, for LSU, it just – going into the season, I said from jump, defense is going to be down on every every – university every program because yeah they say tackling is like riding a bike but when you don't do it day in and day out it is hard and you can't get those reps and you can't like I played basketball my entire life and if I'm not out shooting free throws I'm not gonna have those in the game and that's what we saw mm -hmm. defensively so just to see the struggles I think he came into a system tried to change it 
didn't have the personnel. I had a lot of opt-outs, had a lot of injuries, had basically anything that could be thrown at him. And it just, he, I don't want to say he didn't get a fair shake, but it was definitely not in his favor this season. Here's my problem though. It's like, yeah, first, number one is I, I was really bothered by, by the search as well. It felt like he was looking for a friend rather yes. than a coach, somebody that he could, you know, could deal with, you know, emotionally that yep. could hang with him. And yep. Rand and he were polar opposites. Like you said, just, yep. they did not get along in that way. He was, yep. he was the guy from the previous administration who hung yep. around, but there's no matter how many players a school like LSU loses, you can't be worse defensively than everybody but Vanderbilt. Yeah. Like that, there's no way you should be falling off that Ever. poorly and Ever. giving up 500 yards. I mean, the Mississippi State game at the beginning to Ole Miss at the end, it didn't get, it didn't get better. There were no. just days it was less bad. Bad, and, yep. <laughs> and you still have this amount of talent that you get guys on the all-SEC teams, mm-hmm. and you're telling me that in a, like, the, I mean, the, the, the Mississippi game, you get five turnovers and you still give up still 48 lose. points? Yep, yep. It's, it just that's, That showed to me that Pelini was out of touch. With what yeah. he, he couldn't see, he could not adjust. He didn't simplify anything. He didn't just say, we're just going to get to basic defense. We're going to allow guys to do what they do well. It seemed as if always they were a step behind what the other yep. teams were doing. And I, I yep. didn't understand that, especially when LSU was given advantages in the schedule due to COVID. Yeah, absolutely. They had one of the most favorable SEC schedules, and you thought that they would come out and be – three and oh and then drop the ball and you're just kind of stunned but the thing with Bo Pelini's defense they had so many missed opportunities but like broken coverage gave up the long ball like shots that we didn't see that the year before like Arena's defense was a solid defense but you didn't see those big plays those chunk plays that really hurt you in the end and it just to see the transformation was just astonishing. Like you said, they have talent that comes to LSU. There's a reason why they're called DBU. And to not be able to even, I mean, giving up, what, 623 yards to state, the most ever, an SEC record, and then you allow Alabama to come in and score the most points ever in the series, like, that's not acceptable. And Bama pulled off the gas. Bama scored 80. Oh, oh. And doing it with LSU products, too, which was a slap in the face. But still, like, the whole season was just a complete dumpster fire. And I'm, I'm glad Bo is gone. Linehan also did not seem like an inspired choice. No. A guy who has not been considered innovative offensively, was not a spread-type uh, yep. offensive mind. I think, too, and now we're seeing it with Steve Insminger stepping down, it almost felt like the time last year that Insminger emotionally, that all of the things that had happened last year with the family, the team, and that championship, I really felt like that was the time to move on. And I know the yeah. Brady moving on really messed things up. Yeah. But to replace him with Linehan, a guy who's set in his ways in his 60s, had not been in the college game in some time, again, yeah. it just felt like an odd fit. 
and it didn't pan out either. Uh, there were times that the passing game looked okay, but all in all, again, you'd have to say this was an extremely disappointing year for the offense, particularly with the running game. They never got anything going there. Yeah, when Linehan got the job, I was surprised just because Joe Brady was one of the best hires Coach O has had. Coach O's kryptonite has been his inability to bring in the type of coaching staff that need, he needs. And Joe Brady fit that mold of the younger, he's more um, ori- like pass-oriented, he's very creative in what he does in the approach and the style. And I think him and Steve Insminger really played off of each other and was a great balance. So why not go out for somebody who – um, it doesn't have to be younger, but just more innovative. Right. If you do something like that and you have that balance, I think really brings a different dynamic. And that was the whole reason why they were so successful just a season ago winning the national championship. So when we, he brought him in, I was kind of, it was a head scratcher. And I was like, well, maybe he's going to surprise us. Like, I think everybody was hoping that. And then of course, like you said, LSU's offense was just so inconsistent. Yeah, there were issues with personnel with Brennan going out and then TJ Finley coming in and then um, Max Johnson. But it's one of those things of you should be able to plug and play in your scheme and what you do. And that just never felt consistent. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the biggest issue. So I'm not surprised um, that Innsminger is now going to go from being on field to now more of an analyst role, which I think he'll be great at. But I just think for LSU, you have so many holes to fill on the coaching staff now, but this is like prime time. You have to make the right hire. And like I said, Coach O just has struggled in that department. I don't know if he's too nice wanting to help people or if he um, is more of like, I want my buddies who know and like that sort of like comfort. I don't know what it is, but he's definitely, this is his year that he's got to step up in that department and make better hires. Uh, When Coach O got hired here, I was a little iffy. And I have to say that because so for undergrad, I was at Ole Miss when he was there. I went there, I played basketball at Ole Miss and, uh, he didn't have a winning season. And it was one of those things that I was like, when they first hired him at Ole Miss, I was excited. He's from Louisiana. He's Cajun. He's going to show. And then um, to see kind of his evolution coaching wise, I was a little hesitant for him to get the head job at LSU just because of being burned at Ole Miss. But I was pleasantly surprised when he did bring in Joe Brady and they did some different things. It was promising to see, that he wouldn't essentially become like Les Miles and be set in his ways. He's more of, okay, I know what I need to do and I'll plug and play. Like I was excited about that. So I think this is a pivotal year for him to really prove himself as a coach, to make the right calls and the right hires to move this program forward. Because if he goes five and five again next year, his head is going to be out for, I mean, that's just not acceptable here at LSU. And the issue that comes along with these staff removals is that you have to pay to put people in place. And you have an LSU athletic department that just like all the athletic departments around the country this year, lost a tremendous amount of revenue. $80 million is the estimate right now. 
you have to buy out Polini's contract, which was, I thought was ridiculously overpriced at the time for someone yeah. who had not been in division one for as many years as he had. I think they overpaid for Linehan as well. Yeah. Um, and you have to pay those contracts off and there's no, and then with the other staff reassignments or yeah. releases, there are six to $7 million out there that have to be paid off just yeah. before you can re start hiring new people. LSU's not, Scott Woodward is not going to give a blank check no. to anyone. Yep. And that's going to play a vital role. That's going to be a big, um, you know, of course, LSU's got money and it's got boosters, but it doesn't have the money like Texas A&M where they can, like, you. I mean, they essentially, that's what they did with Jimbo. They wrote him a blank check of come to this program. So it's interesting to see how everything's going to unfold because money is going to play a huge role going forward. It absolutely will. And, and I, I worry about that with LSU because LSU has been in this position before. It did it with Nick Saban. They did it with Les Miles. And now you're back in this spot again where they have not been able to follow up a championship season yeah. with another season that puts you in the conversation for a championship. Yeah. And it's almost like the mirror of Auburn. Where yeah. every time Auburn's gotten an undefeated season, their coach has been gone within yeah. five years after that. Yeah. And we're starting to see that with LSU. And that is a problem when LSU has – no in-state competition as a major school is a national program that brings in national levels of talent, yep. but you're not getting sustained. You, you know, no, don't have back-to-back -back college football playoff appearances. Don't have back-to-back -back, uh, BCS championship game appearances. That is a big problem for LSU. Yep. Yeah. I don't, to me, I just struggle. I don't understand why LSU can't just reload like they literally have to rebuild after a season like that and I understand with over 20 players going to the draft and all of the situation but the talent that comes into this program it should be able to compete year in and year out I just think it falls I mean the biggest component is the head coach every time they win a national championship it is downhill after that so it's either um I don't know if it's a culture issue. I don't know if it's a just a purely coaching staff, but you have to have some consistency to be able to just reload and to be back in that conversation and just, I, I mean, granted, we probably will never see the 2019 season like we did ever right. because that season was, I mean, there, nothing is comparable. I like that Alabama's trying to come close to that this year and, you know, they've won 10 games in an SEC conference. Because it's still not the same. Yeah, it's still Exactly, not exactly. Not even close. And so, um, but it's just one of those things. I don't know what, like, the factor is that's going to put LSU over the edge to be on that Alabama aspect of just reloading every year. Because, I mean, they bring in the talent. They have it. But it's just, I don't know. It's, it's uh, – it, it just – it kind of blows me away because they do compete, but they just always end up – I mean, this year doesn't count, but coming up short and missing one or two games, losing games that should have been one that they would be on that scale. So, I don't know. I think maybe this year Coach O can look at kind of 
everything that went on throughout this season and pinpoint like this is where we need to focus in on because I mean you have the personnel you have the talent you should be able to be like an Alabama and they're not there yet no and it's not just Alabama it's Clemson it's Ohio yep. State you know it's yep. those types of programs that do the same thing. Look, Ohio yep. State loses Urban Meyer, goes to Ryan Day, who is a complete unknown. Nobody, yep. And they've maintained themselves. Yep. You see, I mean, Dabo Swinney was nobody before he became Dabo Swinney. Yep. But every year, and they, it's the, the, the continuity at quarterback. You know, they go yep. from all, you know, top NFL draft pick to top NFL draft pick at yep. quarterback. The, but that's been a consistent thing for LSU, too is figuring out who the quarterback is. Yeah. That has always think, been a huge issue. Oh, always a huge issue. That's what I think the biggest takeaway from this year was, like, to have more than one option at quarterback. Like, it is a great issue to have. LSU typically does not have this kind of talent at the quarterback spot. So that's promising moving forward, especially with, I mean, I would assume Miles Brennan comes back. Um, would you? Because, I mean, he's going to graduate this year. I so. just think that him, like, how he came to this program and what has happened to him, and not to take anything away from him, but LSU literally, like, was like, here, it's your team. I don't see him leaving and having another situation like that. You know what I mean? Like, if he transfers out, it's going to be to a lower mm-hmm you know, type of program. And so I just don't see him leaving in that regard. Um, What I heard was he's back healthy and he's ready to go, but obviously they didn't want to test it because of the situation. Obviously the season was kind of a wash. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I think he'll come back, but to be able to see the talent with Max Johnson and with TJ Finley, there, all by like fighting for that starting position. It's promising. It is very promising, and it's something that LSU has not had in a long time. The one thing I worry about in the quarterback room is that if you are T.J. Finley or Max Johnson, and if Miles Brennan comes back, now you're waiting to your junior year to start. Yeah. And in this situation where they're both the same age, they're yeah. both, you know, want that job um, and didn't get a whole bunch of reps this year um, – It'd be hard to look at a guy who couldn't beat out Danny Etlin. Yeah. Couldn't beat out Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow was just a guy. Yeah. And this year had moments, but yeah. again, I mean, it's like with Miles Brennan, you're, you're also given an abundance of riches. You, you have yeah. everything you could possibly want yeah. at the receiver positions and at the running back positions. So yeah. it's, it's just, I would hate to lose one of those younger guys. For a guy, Miles Brennan, that I think has has hit his ceiling already. Yeah, I think Miles – my biggest takeaway from Miles, and um, LSU fans are probably not going to want to hear this, I didn't see that true leadership from him. I didn't see that on the field. I didn't um, – when he was hurt and TJ got his first start, I didn't see him cheering on TJ. I didn't – you know, maybe there were moments that he did and I just didn't see it. But for me and how I am – I am a natural born leader. And so I'm comfortable and I am confident in my position. So the first thing I'm going to do, I am going to root on this freshman. I'm going to let him know that I am here 
I will tell you whatever I can to help you. I'm going to cheer on my team because I want us to be successful because I know that this guy is stepping in and his play on the field is essentially going to lead to if we're successful or not. So that's what I'm going to be rooting and doing whatever I can. And I just didn't get that feeling from him. And I don't know if that's because he never truly like won that starting role spot. So he didn't feel confident or comfortable, whatever the case may be. I just didn't see him being that true leader, which you have to be at the quarterback spot. Yeah. The thing that you never heard this year about him and especially, and, it, and again, you compare it to Joe Burrow, and it's not about the skills, but the thing you heard about Joe Burrow from the first day he got to LSU was that he took command of the entire team. Yep. Yep. And this is a dude who had no connection to anybody. None. Yep. And said, I have to make sure that these guys respect me, that they like me too, yep. that they embrace me. And still now you see it where there is a loyalty to Joe Burrow from yep. every section of that locker room yep. to this day. And that's something that's rare. But, on, but you saw that they always talked about Brennan that, oh, he can spin it. Oh, yep. he, he's watching film now. But yep. I never heard that same yep. type of command of the locker room. Yep. And I, but I think especially for the quarterback position, you have to earn it. And Joe was willing to do whatever. I remember, I think I heard something about him and might have been Caleb on, like got into it and Joe got in his face, like, Quarterbacks don't do that, like typically, but that shows just, (laughs) yes, like, but that's, and not that I, like, I barely played college basketball. I played semi-pro for a season. That was it. But like, I would go through a wall for anybody. I was going to fight to the end and you earn that respect. And Joe got it off the bat, just what he brought to the table. And I just never saw that from Miles Brennan. And there seemed to be more energy, both when T.J. Yeah. Finley started and yep. when Max Johnson started. It yep. seemed that the other players leveled up. Yeah, and I don't know if that's, like, a, out of them wanting to, like, play good for this guy who's coming in and stepping into this role, but I just think that speaks volumes. And if you don't have that leadership, if you don't have that locker room, like, it's not going to work. And that's, I mean, essentially what we saw this season. So – in evaluating in Ed Orgeron, we've already seen them lose some recruits. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen just that's the, that part of it. I thought this year was going to be the most telling year. But now, like you said, this offseason now becomes the one that will probably determine his future. Yeah. At LSU, who out – I think there needs to be that creative tension that you talked about – we kind of talked about earlier of somebody in the, in the, in the, in the staff who isn't like him, yep. who, who, who is willing to challenge him ideologically. Not respect, yep. you know, not respect, yeah. but just to say, Coach, I see this differently. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's going to be the biggest thing probably that he and Scott Woodward talk about is when you build this staff, let's not talk to your friends. Yep. Let's, let's, let's expand that net a little bit. Where do you think that they might be able to, and this is really early in the process, but just to guess who would be the people, are there people inside? Do you see a Corey Raymond possibly getting elevated? Do you see? Corey Raymond is my off the top defensive coordinator pick without a doubt. He's been at LSU for nine years. He's helped mold that into DBU, what it has become aside from this year. I don't see why not. I think that he is a great recruiter. I think that he's brought in a lot of talent and the guys absolutely 
love him. And I think that was one of the biggest issues with Bo. I don't think that defense loved him. Like, I never heard, aside from after the Ole Miss win, Jabril Cox talked highly of Bo. But, like, aside from that, I just never heard much about Bo. Like, they didn't really say good or bad. And I think that's telling. Either you love your coach and you want to do everything, or it's just like, "Mm, he's my coach. And so, for me, Corey Raymond, without a doubt, I think he should be promoted to D.C. I don't – I mean – with the talent that he has produced out of LSU, it's such a great selling point. What, like, why not give him the opportunity? You don't have anything to lose. We've already had a five and five season. Like, let's go. And the talent that's coming in, like, I just, to me, that's my biggest thing. Offensively, I don't know who I would bring in, but my suggestion would be somebody younger and somebody with an offensive mind because the way that football is going in the SEC now going from being such a defensive battle to now slinging it around the yard, like they do in the big 12, which we all hated and talked about, but it's becoming that way. You have to bring in an offensive minded guy to really push this offense to the next level, because that's essentially what Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger did. I just think you have to go that route. And I think um, you're going to have to take, some chances and some opportunities on some guys that you might not necessarily think of, you know, Hey, they're super experienced, but you got to take a chance because this buddy, buddy coach friend thing is not getting it done. And if it's not getting it done, coach O's not going to be on the bayou very much longer. No, he, he really won't. And, and that's the, the, that's another just sad part about all this. And there are other things, too, that I think are issues that he has to deal with. There's a lot of off-the-field things that are impacting him. Again, Scott Woodward didn't hire Ed Orgeron. Yeah. And so that tie is not there. Yeah. Um, and then to have what's come out with the Title IX investigation and we've seen it seems like they've already started the process of eliminating Verge Osbury. That yeah. that's going to happen. It, that that that's going to happen soon. There's going to be issues with tennis. The tennis coaches. There's going to be issues with the Title IX compliance. But Ed Orgeron is part of that too, and that piece I think is going to impact how he's evaluated just as much as his record next season. Oh, without a doubt, because that's something that is um, that is outside of the sports world and directly impacts. Uh, student enrollment that impacts other athletes on this campus. And um, when I read a few of those articles, my jaw fell to the ground just because of um, everybody talks so highly of Cocho and his character and what kind of man he is. And obviously we don't know everything. We don't have the full details. It's only, you know, the few articles But I really hope that a lot of that um, article, I hope Coach O had no involvement. I I truly hope being an LSU alum, all of that, just because I couldn't imagine being a head coach of a program and having a family and handling a situation like that that directly impacts another um, daughter, another student, another athlete like that just – I was in tears just because being a girl, I've never experienced anything like that, but I can't even imagine like what she went through 
um, the entire situation and the mishandling of it all just saddens me to be an LSU alum and for somebody not to feel safe on a campus that I love and a, you know, that, that just is disheartening that she didn't have the respect of the university to be on her side, you know? And so that situation, I don't know a ton about, I don't have really any insider, right? but I, I definitely think that that will directly impact Coach O and his future here, because I think as time goes on, we'll learn, we'll learn more about the situation. And I think that they're, in, in, a, in a ways, he's tied to Will Wade in that too, yep. who is also not a Scott Woodward hire, who also yep. has a lot of smoke and yep. fire that we've already seen. Um, yep. Like there is going to be pressure, I think, for LSU to either clean house completely to yep. avoid some heavy NCA sanctions. Yep. Um, and, and that, you know, we saw it at Michigan State. We saw what happened yep. there. It cost Mike D'Antoni his job. And yep. it's, you know, we saw it at, it, it could cost James Franklin his job at Penn State this year. Yep. Um, when you tie those things in with underperformance on the field too, uh, yep. it makes it a lot easier for people to move on. And I, I, I think Scott Woodward is thinking about his long-term a lot yep. more. He, he doesn't have to be concerned with Ed Orgeron's career. That's not his job. Yeah. He's got to protect and- the university. Oh, absolutely. So I worked in College Station when Scott Woodward got hired there as the AD, and he came in, and I think he really handles his business, and it seems like he does things by the books. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there are some shakeups down the road from the impact of all of that. The other part that I think has impacted Coach O2 and why we saw some players pull out, and, and this summer was rough for him. Yeah, so I, oh, sorry. Yeah, you're fine. I was there uh, for the first uh, walk that they did for the injustice uh, the first time on campus. I got a call and ran up to campus, and a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of the team, they were huddled in and like having conversations. And uh, there were a few guys that you could tell were heated, like they really, um, it looked like they wanted to be heard. And so they all shifted them to this room and Coach O walked in. Well, they like blocked off media from, but you saw Coach O come into the room and he was hot and he was in there for about an hour and a half. And they ended up like blocked off the window so we couldn't see after a while. But what I heard the impact from that that he really lost the locker room at that point in time because a lot of the players felt like they weren't being heard, that he didn't understand. And again, I wasn't in the room. I wasn't, I don't know the specifics of a majority of that, but I think coach O was not informed about the whole situation. And so he was caught off guard, which then he directly like, he got heated about the whole situation because he was like, here I am at practice waiting on y'all. And then all of a sudden y'all are over here. I hear y'all are over here. And so, but I think maybe the way he handled that and came at the situation uh, didn't sit well with the guys, which is understandably, you know, the whole coach and player relationship always more than not turns out to be more like a father, a father-son relationship and so I think for coach O 
he's so involved in football and coaching that I don't think he realized the impact and the importance of everything that was going on in the world. I mean, Coach O is a smart man, but he's from a small town in Louisiana. He's, you know what I mean? Like, he's not globally uh, thinking about the bigger picture. He's he's a coach. He's one wanting to be successful at his university that he loves so much. And so I think maybe that situation definitely got away from him. And I think that the locker room was in turmoil then. And I think it just kind of trickled down because I mean, that, that situation happened. Terrace Marshall then, or not Terrace Marshall, um, Jamar Jamar Chase Mm -hmm. opted out not even a week later after that. Like, I think they were telling signs of the impact of that situation. But um, it seemed like LSU was getting back on the right track. And I think that they essentially helped their season in a way, finishing off the way that they did. And I think that Coach O has kind of gotten that locker room back. I think that he's not back in control of it, but it's more um, under his leadership as opposed to before. I felt like it was so, um, you know, here are the guys over here, here are the guys over here, and then here's Coach O. I didn't feel like it was a unity like it had always been previously. It felt like, though, he misplayed the Coy Moore situation pretty badly. Yeah. Because the statement that he released afterwards was not as supportive of Coy in yeah. something that was obviously wrong, that something was yeah. on tape, that another – and then to have an Alabama player there while it was going on, um, I think really magnified the tone deafness of it. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's not to indict him as a man. I don't know him well enough to say who or, or what he believes, uh, who he is or what he believes in that regard, but just how you have to handle these things as any executive would yeah. um, in that situation – it felt like he needed to be more definitive in his support for his player. And then, you know, there was the the thing on game day too, where it was kind of like when he was like, racism got to go. And it was like, that's not really the yeah. tone yeah. that we're looking for. And it's just, yeah. yeah, part of it is, as you say, it's, it's who he is. That's yeah. the way he talks. I've, you know, yeah. I've been around him long enough to know that as well, but part of it is somebody's got to help him. If he's going to, because this is not going away and players are going to be looking for these things in the future. They're going to want to know where coaches stand and what are they going to do in those situations. I agree. And that directly impacted Chris Hilton. He almost didn't sign on on the early national signing day just because he and his family wanted a little bit more clarity of, you know, where this program's going, how, because that was – I mean, directly impacted after all the Coy Moore stuff. So I think Coach O is just um, this year, because of all the turmoil, I think he has had to be a little bit more PC than he normally is. Even down to, I mean, last year, if there was an injury, he'd be like, oh, yeah, so-and-so rolled his ankle. He was so open and honest, which works. But then you get burned as well when you – you know, you're too honest in the media just because people can run with things. I mean, I work in the media. I know. I know how it is. And so I think this year he's been a little bit more reserved and a little bit trying to be a little bit more PC, which isn't him. And I think he's gotten burned from that because 
he's not his true authentic self when he's not honest and open. That's why I could never coach because I would be the worst because I don't have a filter. And so it's stuff like that, that I think, I don't think coach O means well. I think he is just genuinely a very down to earth, very country boy and thinks things are black and white when they're not. There's so much more to it. And I think that he's been in the football world so much that he's just entrenched in that. Um, I don't those say blinders. That. Yes, exactly. Like blinders as opposed to like you and me who we know what's going on. We know we're out in it. I don't think he's out in it. So because he's not out in it, he's not directly impacted by it. And we see that across college football. He's not the yep. only one. I mean, Dabo. Yeah. Dabo's probably the worst defender of all <laughs> in my mind. Yep. Um, yep. Just somebody who I would never – there's just no way if I had a child in that position that I could send them to Clemson. It's just yep. – it, there's, there's so many things in my mind that Dabo represents college football poor – well, it depends on how you look at it. If you're talking about yeah. the establishment, Dabo is the – perfect establishment head coach but if yeah. you're talking about where we're headed as a world and as a society he's a relic and yep. i yeah dabo is is not it for me um, <laughs> to to go into this offseason at a five and five team no bowl game we could we could discuss how how silly it was to do the bowl ban anyway this year just it made no sense yeah. but i get it for pr reasons yeah but going into next season where you have to go back to Bama, where now you're going to go all the games, you go back on the hard side of the schedule. And yeah, they have this fantastic recruiting class, but you have these issues with like Eric Gilbert, who I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't I, yeah. you know. That's you're already seeing players, you know, a couple going to the transfer portal. Yep. This off season, how delayed do you think it's going to be while they go through the hirings, while they try to figure out all this stuff as they build towards signing day? that's a tremendous amount of work to get done in a short amount of time. It is, but I think what I've seen so far is that they're trying to be aggressive and to get it done and to get it handled, which is the best way. I don't think, you know, keeping people on staff who aren't getting it done like that, that saves, you no know, time. So why not just kind of clean house, start fresh, um, you know, you already have, what, 19 or 20 commits already, solid class, one of the top 10 in the country. Like, I think they're on the right path. I think that Coach O um, is building off of as much as we can say this five and five season. It would have been easy for them after the Bama game to just kind of give up. But to see the fight and the determination, I think that comes within. I think that teams take on a coach's – persona and that coach O is grit determination fight and they showed that they didn't show that a majority of the year there were <clears throat> plenty of times in the games that I was just like let me suit up let me go play like I'll give more fight than y'all are and so I think that that speaks volumes of where they are as a program I think that they're headed in the right direction I just think they need leadership I think some guys really need to step up I think Jacoby Stevens tried to be that guy but he didn't really have the um, – I don't want to say talent because he's talented. He just didn't walk the walk with it this year. Like, he is a great uh, motivation motivator. He is talented. But he his play on the field wasn't what it needed to be to earn that respect. And so I think that's what LSU is missing the most of just 
somebody's got to be that vocal leader. I was excited to hear Cheris Marshall, who's from Bossier City, my hometown. I was pumped to hear him get in people's faces because they need that. They need somebody to call them out and to say, hey, like, we got to get better. We got to do this for us. Like, we need to represent this university, this program, and get back to what it was. And then to see him opt out, I understand it. But it's one of those things. I just think the leadership is what they are lacking the most. And it's apparent. Yeah, on the defensive side in particular, because Derek Stingley is not a vocal guy. No, at all. Your other corner is a was as good as he played, still a freshman. 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 And so you can't walk in the locker room that way. You bring no. in Jabril Cox, who spent four years at another – I mean, you know, four is at another school and yep. comes in – and, I, I, A, I feel bad for Jabril Cox because he thought he was going to be a first-round, second-round oh, draft did. pick coming into LSU. Yeah. And he may not go till the middle or late now after this year. Yeah. You had no one on the defensive line because you lost every vet Everybody. on the defensive line. The mm-hmm. offensive line was so inconsistent. And Ed Ingram is probably not coming back next year either. Yeah. So this line is still going to be extremely young yeah. next season. Your running backs were all sophomores. So they're, they're still going to be young. Your quarterback yeah. is new. The, the most veteran people you had with your receivers and yeah. those guys had to opt it out at, at, at different points of the season. So, yeah, leadership is a critical part of this in, the, in creating that continuity. And you're right. No one really stepped into that void to Mm-mm. hold everyone accountable. accountable. Because there was that voice every year, whether it was last year, there were enough guys, not just Joe Burrow, but there were – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was that guy too. And on the defensive side, you had Brandon Fajoko. You had all these guys, Braden Fajoko, excuse me, and all these other players who had been there and done that. And and so I think that that lack – that void is something – I don't know if you can recruit that. But But I think – I think – from this season, the positive to take from this season are all the reps that this young team didn't have coming into this season. And not only they're going against other SEC teams, that's rare. Most young guys come in and they'll play in these, you know, games that don't really matter, non-conference, you know. And so for them to get these rep, these reps and this experience, that's invaluable. You can't get that anywhere else. And you're going against you know, the best of the best. So I think that's a positive and a plus to work on. But also now in this off season, they'll get a real off season. They'll get that opportunity, that time to learn the scheme, learn the system. I think next year they're going to surprise some people, but it also all depends on that coaching staff, who they bring in. Yep. And then the one thing in recruiting, they only have one offensive lineman committed right now. Just one. And Coach O, he has talked about how they always get beat in the trenches, and he's going to – he's definitely got to go after some O-line because that this year's isn't going to cut it for next year. No, it really won't. And, and that's, that was the moment I thought the program changed for him. Is yep. After the Alabama loss two years ago. Oh, yeah. When he said, we have to go out and find nasty guys who can win out yep. on the line – and last year you saw it. They whipped people. They were the best offensive yep. line in the country. The yep. best. And it's it just a, a big drop-off, and you have to be able to protect. Um, let, let's ask a couple questions for next year. Do, who do you think is the starting quarterback next season? I don't know. So I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I don't think Miles Brennan – gets it done 
I don't think he gets it done. I think he has the arm. I just don't think he's got the leadership ability, and I don't think he makes the right decisions. I think he he second guesses himself, and I think if he like finally finds that confidence in himself of, hey, I can do this, I think he'll be a great guy. Um, I am partial to TJ Finley, and I say this for two reasons. I covered a few of his games at Ponchatoula, and when I saw him, I was like, he's got a cannon, but I don't – I just don't think he's going to cut it at LSU. And then when I went and, and interviewed him this summer and saw that he dropped 22 pounds and I saw what he was doing and his ability and the drive and the hunger, I was stunned, like absolutely jaw-dropped stunned. Just Because when I saw him in high school, he's heavy set, like struggling to run the ball. He's like, a little Jamarcus-like. Yes, like so – and not even a lot, trying to shoot him, like film him. I could not keep up with the ball because it was like a flick of the wrist and it's going 50 yards. And so to see his transformation and to not really get a fair shot this summer because of COVID and everything like that, he is a favorite to me on all of that. Just his impression of what he has done and his work ethic and him asking Coach O, like, hey, can I have my own room? Because I want – I don't want any distractions. Like, that's impressive. That For a true freshman to come in and to have that drive and that motivation is very, very impressive to me. And I really liked how the team responded to him when he started. Because going into it, we didn't know how he was going to be because – He's a true freshman. Again, he hadn't had that time, those reps with those guys. And so I really liked how the team kind of rallied around him. Then he had the awful game. And so it was one of those of it made me a little nervous. Like, you get that with inconsistency with true freshmen. Everybody talked about Max Johnson. I hadn't seen him because we weren't allowed at practice, any of that. So Max Johnson comes in. I was really impressed with his poise. He just – has a coolness about him that I hadn't seen in a true freshman who again, didn't really have many reps. And so to see what he was able to do against Florida on the road in the swamp under those conditions, that was impressive. And then um, he didn't look super sharp in the first half against Ole Miss. And obviously Ole Miss's defense is not anything to write home about. So that gave me kind of mixed emotions, but to see, his ability when he did throw his first interception and to bounce back and not really let it affect him, that was promising. So with all that being said, <laughs> um, I would uh, – I think Max has the edge. That would be yeah. – my thought is that Max goes into the spring as one. Yeah, because that of what Mi- he's able to do. And that they yeah. put Miles at two. Because yeah. they give him his one last shot unless he transfers – is yeah. going to give him one more shot, and they put TJ at three. But, I, you know, that could be very fluid. Like you said, uh, the next coordinator comes in, yeah, and who you knows know what it. it is that they're looking for in yeah. that position. But I think no matter who it is, I think we've seen the best of Miles Brennan. I don't think that there is yeah. a, a higher gear for him. I think it's the same thing, like, for Auburn and Bo Nix. It's like they keep waiting for Bo Nix to become a star. Yeah. But he does the same stuff Forcing every week. Yep. Yeah. Like, so yeah. you know, I just don't see the growth there. And and that's, yeah. I think that's the thing you wanted to see this year from him was yeah. a, a bigger step up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, time was certainly a thing, but he's had four years in the program. Yeah. And now, I mean, to be completely honest, TJ Finley has had more reps than him. You know, he has the same experience as Miles. So you can't really say that going into this spring now, he doesn't have the upper hand. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited. And then uh, Garrett Nussmeyer coming yep. in. I'm excited to see him, just the hype around him and his ability to recruit, to get people to come here and just his love and his passion for it. I'm excited. Yeah, next season um, is going to be exciting for a number of reasons. Hopefully the biggest one is that it's back to normal in some ways that we're not dealing with this. I hope, God. It's been brutal. Yes, please, just, you know, because I know what it's like. You know, I I know that grind as well. Um, Did local TV for a number of years and then have done it as a writer too. But what has this year been like for you in trying to cover things? Because my biggest challenge – whether it's been college or the NFL or NBA, it's been, I can't build the relationships that I have built in the past. I can't get that access to the individuals and talk to them on the side and get that extra bite, that extra insight that I got in previous years. And I feel like we in the media and the fans and the readers and the watch list, you know, our viewers have all suffered because of that, because the schools have had so much more, control over yeah. this over the uh the narrative this year oh absolutely so this season has been good and bad for me um the positive that i'm going to take away from this season because of covid being so limited i got to tell a lot of stories that i don't typically get to tell i mean i did interviews with um Ben McDonald. I did interviews with TJ Finley one-on-one. I did a lot of interviews that I wouldn't normally have the time and the the energy to do because you're go, 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 so much going on. And so I got to interview Saul Garza before he got drafted. Like I got to tell a lot of great stories that I don't normally get to do. And I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of the job because you get to really know a person, what they've been through, their journey, their struggles, their good, their bad, everything. And so I love that aspect. But like you said, I don't feel close to this LSU football team. Like I don't have much of a rapport. I don't, I mean, Coach O probably doesn't even know who I am because everything is on Zoom and Zoom's nice because we get sound, but there's nothing that can take the place of going, meeting, BSing to the side with them, like getting to know people. Like I miss interviewing Clyde Edwards Elair and his smile being from ear to ear and like cracking jokes and making like you get the best sound and you get the best content when it's one-on-one face to face. I technology is nice and all, but like, I am not a big fan of zoom. I don't care. I don't like FaceTime. I don't like stuff like, like, If I don't have to see my face on camera, that would be wonderful. Like, let me get behind the camera and talk to people, find out about them. So I think this year has just been awful on so many levels when it comes to that. Like, there's no personal feel. One of my Mm -hmm. favorite things to do here at my station, I cover high school football primarily throughout the fall. And I used to do ride-alongs with the high school coaches. And I've had people throughout the season – when are you doing ride-alongs again? And at first I hated ride-alongs because I was like, nobody's going to care about me and a coach and a car. And they're like, no, it's our favorite. And so I miss that the, just to see the realness of people and the genuine side of people rather than just, 
oh, here's a football coach or here's a player. You don't get the special, like the good in everybody. And so everything's almost like robotic. And so I think that is what people miss. And especially the com the camaraderie for fans and, you know, those players miss those fans and that cheering and that excitement. Like, I guarantee you when TJ Finley scored his first touchdown, he would have loved for Tiger Stadium to be packed while he's trying to get them going. Like, you just miss everything that encompasses sports. Mm -hmm. And so for me, just missing the, like, the love and the energy and the passion is what I – miss the most from this season I'm glad we had a season I'm glad we got to see some football even though it was some real 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 ugly football for LSU but we still had a season people are safe I'm just ready to go back to normalcy because I'm over zooms and COVID yeah I I, I miss the scrum I yes. miss being in the group and fighting for my questions because yes. now you sit there in order and you may only get one yes and, and it's I, I miss and then that. You, you go to ask a question and like somebody else just asked it. And so then you're like, oh, no, can, mm, and like try to pull something out of your right. rear end because of it. Yeah. And, you know, we were used to getting post game. You get like eight, nine players. They're not giving you that anymore. No. Three. So we got Jacoby Stevens like twice. And it's, it's just it, it, that part of it I, I miss. Because the side guys, the guys who you never get to talk to, yep. the offensive linemen, the, the, the running backs who, you know, they want to talk to you. And like you said, you may not even use that stuff. Yep. But it's that you're setting it up for two weeks later when I talk yep. to you again because I came over when yep. there were only three reporters on that side yep. and there were yep. 30 over for that guy. Yep. And, and now we have a relationship and that's where you get the good stuff. And we lost one of my, I'm oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. One of my favorite interviews was Joe Burrow at the Manning passing Academy. And he's in this ugly, like that ugly hat. He looks like he's 12 years old and we're talking football. And I was like, you know, are you excited that, you know, spring or summer ball is almost over with and fall ball is going to be here in the season. He's like, no. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, no, that means I don't have any more time to get better. Like I'm using, and it was just one of those moments. Like that was the moment for me that I was like, Joe Burrow is special. I've never had anybody say anything like that. Most players are going to be like, yeah, I'm over it. Like I'm ready to play ball. I'm ready for the games. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm still getting better. I'm still learning. Like this is my opportunity to get where I want to be. And that was impressive. But like a moment like that, that doesn't happen over Zoom right now. Can't. It can't. Nope. It's too impersonal. Yep. Last thing, this college football playoff can't be, it, it, it is not legitimate this year. I knew from the beginning, and I told people four weeks, five weeks ago, I said, it doesn't matter when they do this show every Thursday because they're going to take the four most television worthy teams. It, you know, it didn't matter. And that's what we saw. Yeah, I to be perfectly honest, I didn't watch it because I already knew, and it was one of those things of, like, the whole point of going to the playoff system was to get the teams that deserve to be there, and we're still not getting that. It's still going to be Bama and Clemson, and it's, it's boring. Like, nobody cares besides Bama and Clemson. Like, at least get intriguing matchups. Like, that's the whole point of college football. Like, I love – college basketball because you don't know who's going to be in that final four. 
you have no idea. Like, let's go to a freaking eight, eight games, eight teams. Let's let them play it out. Let's not pick the same four or the same three and do the same thing every year. Like, it's tiresome. Like, let's make a change. Let's make it better because it benefits everybody. I mean, I bet you these ratings are going to be trashed because there's um, there's just no excitement. There's no real joy of seeing Bama and Clemson do it again all over. Like we'll get outside of those bites from Saban. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Dabo's going to be mad when he loses to Saban again. Like it's it just it's old. I don't. I'm disappointed by it. I really thought that this system was going to be better, and then here we are. It has been a pleasure to do this with you. I'm glad we got to talk. Um, Absolutely. I appreciate you. Yeah. I, I was like, I, I've been seeing you and I was like, I want to talk to her so bad. I want to talk to Chessa. I want to talk to Chessa. <laughs> and so, you know, we had a couple, it just had to get the time right. And I'm yep. glad we got to do it. Um, and I hope we get to do it again soon, especially Absolutely. maybe once LSU makes these hires, we get to talk again and, yes. and, and see what talk your thoughts that. are there. Yeah, and I got to get exactly. into your basketball. I did not know you were a basketball player. That's one thing yep. I did not know. And yep. I am a basketball maniac. I know. I, I saw that. I was looking up stuff. So funny. I have a funny story. So Teresa Weatherspoon, who's with the Pelicans now, um, I grew up on Louisiana Tech basketball. That's my only two goals in life. I wanted to play basketball for Leon Barmore at Louisiana Tech. And I wanted to be a sports reporter. That's the only two things I've ever said in my entire life, my goals. And um, – one summer, I met Teresa Weatherspoon because she was coaching the camps at Louisiana Tech, which I went to every summer. And uh, one summer, I ended up getting into a little scuffle with another girl, and Spoon had to, like, pick me up by her side and, like, carry me around the court because I was so angry. And she was like, calm down, Boucher. And I was like, no. like, But she is one of the best. And I'm so excited that she's in New Orleans with the Pelicans because now I'm not even a little bit over an hour away. So I'll definitely have to come. But yeah. That's, and she's that's awesome to talk team. to. I, oh, I love talking so to Spoon. Oh, like at every, pre- at every time I'm at a Pelicans game, um, I seek her out because she's just a great person to talk to. Yep. And that has been the best thing for me this year with the NBA is that we've seen this influx of women into the game because basketball it. is basketball. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, basketball is – I played against – you know, I was one of those people, that, the guys in college who played against our women's team. Mm-hmm. So there were like seven of us, and we went to practice every day, had to do everything they did. Yep. And, um, you know, I loved it. And I coached uh, women's basketball in the summers, high school – um, and, and then I coached youth ball for a while. Um, and because I just, I love being around the game and I've always been one of those people who just said, I don't understand, like meeting Pat summit. I was, I was fortunate enough to be in Springfield, Massachusetts. I was working at WGGB in Springfield when she was inducted into the hall of fame. And, cool. and I, um, I got to see her coaching when she had the Meeks, um, and uh-huh. that was just an amazing squad. And I, uh, back then, I mean, I, you know, between, I was like, she could coach men. I would listen to her. Oh, easily. Like mm-hmm. she knows the game. There's just no doubt. Oh. And I'm just so happy to see it either. It's, and the Pelicans having Mary Andrade, um, working with yeah. the uh, G league team and having Swin and having uh, a spoon. And it's not for show. It's because they know the game. They love the game. They work the game. And I, yeah. I love it. I love it. 
I couldn't be happier. I love it. I'm super excited about it. So I'll tell you this one funny story. My mom's probably going to be mortified that I'm going to tell this, but I'll tell it anyway. So again, I grew up hardcore Louisiana Tech, like through and through. Like the day Leon Barmore retired my sophomore year, I was devastated. Like I didn't even go to school that day. Like I did not come out of my room. I was just like, my life is over. Like this is all I ever wanted to do was play for Leon Barmore. And so um, I got invited to the Pat Summit uh select camp so and I again hardcore Louisiana Tech I told my mom I was like I'm not going to that like I don't wear orange blah. and she's like no you are going this is a huge ordeal I was like fine whatever so I go to camp do really well end up making the all-star team um got an award I don't even know what it was but so of course we had to wear like uh balls jerseys well I walk up to get my award from Pat Summit. And I, like, go to shake her hand. And I was like, thanks, coach. She's like, yeah, Chester, like, great job. I was like, thank you. I was like, I got to tell you something, coach. And she's like, what? I was like, when I'm at Louisiana Tech, you're never going to hang another banner. And I, like, took off my jersey and had Lady Texter, my shirt that I wore under everything, on. And I was like, I just want you to know. And she's like, I'll remember that, Chess. And I was like, you should. And walked off. And my mom's like, what are you doing? And I was like. I'm just trying to let – I'm warning Pat. Like, I'm coming. I'm coming for her. They're not doing it. I guarantee you Pat respected that. I guarantee you she respected that. Oh, without a doubt. She's like, I hear you, Chess. I got you. And I was like, good. I just want you to know. And my mom was just like, what? I was like, I'm just letting her know. Like, I'm wearing orange out of respect for her, but I still got my baby blue and red on. Like, text coming. And my mom was just like, what can I do with you? I was like, I know. So, Yeah. God, Good times. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we have more basketball stories to tell too, because oh, I have, absolutely. yes. And I have my run-ins with some, some interesting players over my career uh, I believe as, it. as mediocre as it was. <laughs> you know, it's tough when you are six, three and you are, have played center your entire life. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean like my high yeah. school, like this is how far back I am. Cause my high school years coincided with Randy Livingston, LSU legend, Randy Livingston. Gotcha. I played against him in high school, Dwayne Spencer, who also played at LSU um, was all American at Cohen at the time. So these are all the guys I'm going up against. Oh, wow. And yeah. these are guys who at the time, this is when Louisiana was producing nothing but McDonald's all Americans, Rashard Allen, um, you know, it's just guys at Melvin Simon. It was just this parade. St. Aug was sending the guys to Tulane and all this. Yeah. And they were sending me to guard these six foot ten inch monsters, and I'm six three, 185 pounds at the time. So it's like no, no. And then I get to Wake Forest, and so we play in the gym, and it's Tim Duncan coming in there. He and I entered Wake Forest the same year, and so wow. he comes to the gym and run, and it's like in the summer. I'm playing against, and they don't let you shoot because you're not on the team. I'm not on the team. Yeah. So my job is don't shoot. You're there to rebound yep. and make sure that they have 10. So it's mm-hmm. Tim Duncan, Rodney Rogers, Muggsy Bogues. It's like all these guys coming back and me and three of my friends who just happen to be around. And, you know, just watching them beat up on us. Yeah. That was fun. It was, yeah, it's still great. I get to say that I played with a Hall of Famer and, and had fun with doing it. So, yeah, yeah. it's – I love this, I, I, you know, it's trite, but I love the game of basketball. I just do. I just do. I Nothing do. gives me more joy than, than watching basketball. Nothing. I've, I've struggled with women's basketball lately just because they've gotten away from fundamentals. I mean, growing up when I was younger, we did – fundamentals were instilled in you, and they've gotten so far away from it lately, aside from, like, you know, Baylor's and the powerhouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they do, they do what they're supposed to do, but they're a lot of – 
even at the university level has just gotten away from the fundamentals, which drives me insane. Like it's so hard for me to watch the games. I'm like, why are you picking up your dribble? What are you doing here? Why aren't you screwing it away from the ball? Like, oh, it drives me insane. My mom's like, I'm surprised you're not coaching. I was like, I would get like so many. It would be bad if I coached because I'm too in your face, too aggressive, all of that. It would, mm-mm. I would yeah, probably Pelican, go to jail. The Pelicans media people had to tell me to quiet down. Yeah. Because people could hear me rose down when they made bad plays. I'd be like, oh, because why didn't it's you not crowded. And, mm-hmm. and I do, and now I do um, color commentary for Tulane basketball, both men and women. Nice. And so a lot of time during the broadcast, I'm breaking these things down as like, she should have cut this way or she, mm-hmm. this, this, this. And, and so, yeah, that, but that's been, people have responded to that. I think people want to hear and want to be educated and be a better fan. And yeah. so I think that, that, that level of conversation is really good. And when you have people in our industry yeah. who, who have played, but have also done the work and you're doing the work to be yeah. a great reporter, you're not just, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we, and you've met them, you've met the people yeah. who are in this because they want to be cool. Yeah. They want the passes. They want to be on the field. They're not in yeah. it for the job. But that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, that I've been trying to reach out to you is because I watch you and I'm like, she's on the grind. And oh, I respect I'm that. trying. And it means a lot just because one, being in Baton Rouge and we're the, typically the number three station, so we don't get a lot of views. But just to get a little bit of recognition, um, again, I don't, I'm not, I don't care to be on camera all day, every day. I typically look like this when I'm not on camera because I just. Oh, we all look like crap. Ooh. Yeah, like yeah. I don't want to be cute. I'd rather go out there and out shoot the boys. And I have people, they're like, who shot that for you? I'm like, um, I, I did. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm trying to out shoot the dudes. Like, mm-mm, I'm competitive. I want to be the best. So yep. I'm you're trying. You're the one who's out there, you know, looking at angles. You got a whole yep. shots that you're not using because you just yep. experimenting with stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, I remember those sidelines and, and uh, mm-hmm. setting myself up on baselines in high school basketball games yep. to get my spot. I loved it. I loved yep. it. The only thing I hated about local TV was weather oh, because they'd say the you're cutting 30 from your, your set because yes. weather oh. went over. <laughs> yes. It's, oh, it aggravates me. Like I get it. Like weather drives a lot of advertisement, money, everything. I get that. And people care about weather. I care about weather too, but like, come on when we only have 230 or whatever we have for that i'm like just let take it out of like the second weather hit or like what no take it out of yeah. that crap story at the end exactly that no one nobody cares, cares about. about the kicker nobody cares about that no only no. people laughing are the anchors like no you killed my yeah. both side you turned it into a vo and now i'm exactly this. It, the bite was the part that i was leading up to i need <laughs> exactly and they're like no we cut your time that looks <laughs> So the, I, my my memories are deep about it, and, and I went back like I started in Alexandria shooting on Super V. Oh wow, gotcha! Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Yep. <laughs> my college had better camera equipment. So like tape than my to first tape. Station. Yes. That's how I it learned that in Shreveport. My first internship, I was like, "What? What is this?" Luckily, so I went to Ole Miss for undergrad, but LSU for grad school, but. At Ole Miss, they had transitioned into everything digital. I was like, thank God, because the tape-to-tape was like a no. nightmare. No, yeah, that's, that's Stone Age stuff. And I was, <laughs> and like the people I learned under when I was an intern, and I'm going to let you go after this, but uh, the people I learned under the intern, they, 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 all they taught me was, like, consistently was like, preview is for suckers. 
You don't have time for preview edit. Because, you know, you come back. You know how it is. You shoot four games one night in high school yes. football. And you've been driving all over. You try to get one touchdown and get out. Mm-hmm. And you travel on it. You come into the station, and it's 30 minutes before the show. And you yep. got to edit all four of those. And it's like, no, we don't do previews here, baby. Boom, boom, boom. You know your time codes, and you get in and out. <laughs> and so. <laughs> yep. God, if people, like. I wish people like viewers knew like what we went through on a day-to-day basis. They would be a lot more appreciative of what we do because it is a grind, but it's worth it to get people that like, like I did um, an interview with Landry Williams, head coach of Madison prep and the amount of love that I've gotten on that interview after they won their semifinal game heading to state for the first time since 2016 and 3A, like, just it's so rewarding like it's so like again I don't even care that I'm on it but for people to like love to hear what he has to say and he got a little emotional which he doesn't like he's normally calm cool and collected he got a little choked up and I'm just like yes this is so good like I love this so yeah Yeah, the, the best stories are the ones that we get to just be the conduit for like yes. I don't want anybody to remember necessarily what I did more so than what I was able to bring out of the other person. Yep. And that's what I enjoy. And that's, that's part of the reason why I like the podcast format for me now, instead of the radio format is just because I get, I wouldn't have gotten this out of you in a 15 minute hit on my radio show. Oh no, at all, at all, at all. So I am looking forward to the next time. Please tell folks how they can follow you. Tell them uh, what you got cooking and uh, when they can catch you on, uh, on the air. Yeah. So I typically on air for WGMB and WVLA. That's the NBC 33 and Fox 44 station here in Baton Rouge. I anchor the weekends and I report during the week. So you can typically catch me on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. Um, but you can also follow me on Twitter at Chessa Boucher, Instagram, Chessa Boucher. And then on Facebook, it's Chessa Boucher Sports. So got all those platforms. <laughs> there you go and you didn't oh you did didn't you see this auburn set to hire boise head coach brian harrison harson oh i, I did know. not know that okay i just got that update well Look at that. oh. that's an unusual hire for auburn that that is i just feel bad for auburn though like do you you're like the, do you really i mean you're essentially the red-headed stepchild and like nobody like even if you win, you're going to lose to Alabama. So it's like people aren't going to be happy. But see, when they do beat Alabama, that's the whole thing. It makes their whole year. And I think that there's an anti thing about it. You know, like you like to be the opposite. There's a, there's yeah. a pride in being – because, like, that's where my family's from. My sister went to, went to Bama. My cousins went to Bama. My uncle went to Bama. My mother's from Birmingham. That's where her family's from. So Bama was, like – like Bear Bryant was just ubiquitous in my life growing up, but yeah. the ki- people that I know who are Auburn people, they mm-hmm. enjoy being not Bama people. Like there's nothing better than that is to them is just, they don't want to be associated with Bama. There's something about them that they just don't, they cannot articulate necessarily, but mm-hmm. it's the whole vibe, the whole thing that has been created over the years of just wanting to be the underdog and then those those occasions, they get to say, well, we had Bo and we have Cam yeah. and we have this and we have Bama doesn't necessarily. I mean, you could take a Tua and you could take, but they don't have the charisma. They don't have the lasting impact. They don't have a legend you know, of recent vintage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Bo Jackson will live forever. Cam Newton forever, one ever. year for an individual. 
Yeah. No one I don't think has elevated a program in one year higher than Cam Newton did, considering what he had around him. Joe Burrow had a great had the greatest season. But he was there for But he two had years. so much around him. Cam had yeah. nobodies. Like you don't yeah. even, you can't even remember. Yeah, I, on I that was, Auburn in team. my head I was like, who <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like Auburn for that is like, oh, we have those things. You guys yeah. Yeah, you can have your little Mark Ingram, whatever, but nobody's gonna remember him. And that's yeah. true. I mean, it's really true. And the, as we get further along the road, it's, it, yeah. I guess I'd rather have legends in that regard. And I think that's kind of almost the LSU position because yeah. LSU is not a natural rival to anybody in the SEC. They're everybody's second team. Because yeah. Auburn is always going to be Bama's. Florida is always going to be either is Georgia, you know, Tennessee and Bama, it, it, whatever it is, South Carolina and, and, and Florida, whatever. LSU. I don't know. I feel like Ole Miss is kind of like but Ole the Miss. Field. You know, still it's the Mississippi, Mississippi it State. Would be second. Yeah. But they have so much hatred for LSU. They do. Like hardcore. But it's still second. So, you would rather right. the Egg Bowl than beat LSU if they had to choose. It's the Egg Bowl. So who would you say A&M's rival is? I think they're trying to make LSU and A&M. Dead. Yeah. That's the goal. Because they tried it with Arkansas and it didn't work. No. The boot thing never t- caught on. So I think that the Texas A&M is the one that they really want to make work. Yeah, and um, LSU doesn't really care. No. No, they don't. And, and I think LSU, you know, LSU's focus is on it, who it should be, the teams that you need to beat to win a championship. And Bama. That's Bama, Florida, and those types. But I don't – it's just – that's the weirdest thing for LSU. That, that is the thing is they're always – Yeah, I never thought of it like that until you said that. And LCC hmm. has tried. They've tried. They tried with the boot. They tried. They, Texas a they don't have a statue or a name for the game yet. But no, LSU doesn't have a yet. name game. Like, think of it. They I don't did. have a name game. I did like when LSU used to play A&M uh, the day after Thanksgiving, though. I did like that. But, oh, well. We'll see, we'll see what happens in the future. But, yeah. again, thank you so much. I took more Absolutely. time than I thought I would, but I'm glad <laughs> oh, you stuck fine. around for it. <laughs> I appreciate you, and I know you got to get back to work. Um, so for the talented Chesa Boucher, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter, and you can check my website, HITPWithDG.com. Also, visit the shop. There's cool stuff to buy there. And until the next time, this has been another edition of Pardon the Pain.